Welcome to Keeping Fit with Stories, where the music guides your pace and the story keeps you going. Today's story is going to take you 3,000 steps closer to your target. So take a deep breath. And let's begin. So today I'm going to tell you a story from an ancient text called Hitupdesh, which means good advice. It was a book of stories written in the 2nd century BC to teach the young princes of the kingdom how to rule effectively in times of war and in times of peace. And today's tale is a lesson on the art of deception. Once upon a very long time ago, in the kingdom of Gauda, there lived two friends, a weaver named Monu and a chariot maker called Chandru. They were both excellent craftsmen, very skilled in their work, successful, respected, and also quite rich. But the great thing about them was that they really enjoyed their money. The two friends were not miserly at all. They spent lavishly. They dressed in the finest clothes. They ate the best food. They wore the most expensive perfumes and generally kept themselves well entertained at all times. It is said that God divided the day into eight sections, eight prahars, and the man who keeps himself occupied in each prahar is the happiest man of all. Well, if that is true, then Monu and Chandru were definitely the happiest men on earth. They woke up at the crack of dawn every day and did all of their early morning rituals of yoga and prayers and meditation and so on. Then they spent the whole day working and as the sun moved to its resting place in the far western corner of the earth, they went home, dressed for the evening and finished the prahars, the last sections of the day by partying all night. India, as you know, is a land of festivals and there was always some festival or other that kept Monu and Chandru occupied. Some gathering, some mela, some picnic, something that they could celebrate. It was a good life. Now, on one such evening at one such festival, the two friends were walking around the city square right outside the king's palace when all of a sudden, the weaver, Monu, happened to look up and he saw in the balcony of the palace a sight that held him transfixed. It was a beautiful young woman. Well, she looked more like a goddess, really. And I think it's fair to say that Monu had never seen a more beautiful creature in all his life. Her face shone like the autumn moon. Her eyes were like jewels set in the deep, dark ocean. Her breasts were firm and vibrant, like twin flowers budding in springtime. Her hands looked like delicate little pink lotuses in full bloom. Oh, she was gorgeous. And Monu, as I said, was absolutely transfixed. He had been struck by not one, not two, but all five arrows of Kamdev. Okay, time for a quick stretch as I explain about Kamdev and his arrows. So, Kamdev is the Hindu god of love and desire. And much like Cupid, he shoots people with arrows made of flowers to make them fall in love. He has five different types of arrows made from five different types of flowers. Okay, have you done your stretch? Excellent. 
we're going back to the story and this time the pace of the music is going to change just a little bit so get ready to move just a little bit faster as i was saying monu took one look at the princess and that was it he had been struck by not one not two but all five arrows of kamdev and feelings of love had begun to churn inside him like they had never churned before oh isn't that sweet it's so romantic let me tell you there is absolutely nothing sweet about kamdev's arrows they might be made from flowers but they are lethal each arrow has its own target and it is like a mortal attack and as the wise say only the luckiest will survive with their sanity once they have fallen in love and i have to tell you that poor monu was not amongst the lucky ones the first arrow of kamdev's made of the delicate white lotus flowers pierced his heart making him feel lighthearted and happy like a young boy falling in love for the very first time the second arrow of the tiny little ashoka flowers pierced his lips making him cry out in uncontrollable excitement the third arrow of the delicious mango flowers hit him square in the brain making him so crazy in love that he felt he had lost his mind he could no longer think straight the fourth arrow of the soft sweet jasmine flowers now i have to warn you this is the most dangerous one of all because it hits you in the eyes and it makes you hallucinate Well, it certainly made poor Monu see things. One moment his beloved was in front of him. She was smiling at him. She was coming towards him. The next moment she had disappeared. He couldn't find her anywhere. Where was she? Oh god, where was she? He thought he was going mad. But there was still a fifth arrow to come. The fifth arrow made of the enchanted blue lotuses that bloom in the land of the mermaids. This one hits you in the forehead and paralyzes all your senses so that you can no longer think of anything else. Poor Monu, he was lost. He had fallen hopelessly and irrevocably in love. Stumbling, falling, tripping up over his own shadow, somehow Monu made it home, but he could not get the princess out of his head. He might have left her behind on the palace balcony but she was everywhere in his mind whichever way he looked she was there whatever he did she was in front of him whatever he tried to think of her face was all that he could see and all he could do was just lie there in his bed breathing deep sighs and crying hot tears into his pillow Sometimes he would moan in despair at the uselessness of the situation and then suddenly out of nowhere he would start smiling imagining himself within the perfumed circle of her arms loving her kissing her and then he would burst into happy love songs but once again just as suddenly he would remember that it was impossible to be with her because well she was a princess and he was just a common weaver and without any warning at all he would start to wail and cry and belt out miserable songs of lament it was a textbook case of love fever honestly i would not wish this on anybody anyway poor monu spent the whole night in this condition 
between joy and misery, between hope and despair. Now, the next morning, when Chandru came to his house to set off for work, he was surprised to see his friend in this condition. Messy hair, unshaved beard, just lying in bed, sighing and crying. Good heavens, said Chandru, what on earth happened to you? But Monu was so lost in his world, he did not even respond. Chandru began to worry. Was his friend sick? Did he have a life-threatening disease of some kind? He leaned over to check Monu's forehead, but just then he noticed the faraway look in his friend's eyes and he realized, uh-oh, this was no ordinary fever. This was the worst fever of all. His friend was lovesick. Oh no, said Chandru, you've gone and fallen in love. How stupid can you be? Okay, out with it. When did this happen? Who is she? Where did you meet her? Tell me everything. Monu told his friend the whole sad love story. The night of the festival, the golden palace in the city square, the goddess standing on the balcony of the palace, and so on and so on. Ugh, said Chandru. Yeah, I can understand why you're so miserable. She is a princess and you are nothing, absolutely nothing. This relationship doesn't stand a chance. You do not have a chance, oh dear, oh dear. Now, Monu had been languishing in bed all day, weeping and sighing, fully aware that this relationship had absolutely no chance at all. But the moment Chandru said it, he jumped up in anger. What do you mean I have no chance? Love knows no boundaries. It knows no status. All this money, this caste, it means nothing to me. Besides... How do you know that she's the princess? She could easily be the princess's maid, in which case I stand a very good chance. <sighs> Chandru realized that it would be useless to argue with his friend because Monu had been struck with love fever and no power on earth was going to make him see sense. All right, all right, calm down, said Chandru. I will think of something to help you. But... To begin with, you have to stop being so miserable because you're pulling me down as well. And before we do anything else, go now and take a bath and clean yourself. You stink. And no one is going to love you in this condition. Not the princess and not her maid either. Monu did as he was told. He bathed, he washed, he even went to work. But truth be told, he could not concentrate on anything. He just sat there thinking about his beloved and praying for a miracle. Anything, anything that would bring them together again. Well, that evening, Chandru returned as promised. And he returned with a miracle. Or at least he said it was a miracle. All Monu could see was his friend coming in, carrying a giant man-sized wooden bird painted all in gold. It made no sense at all. Chandru put the bird down and to the weaver's growing amazement, he showed him what it could do. On the neck of the giant wooden bird were a series of switches which, if you push them in and out, made the bird go up and down. And if you push them from side to side, you could make it go from left to right or in any direction that you wanted. It was like magic. And this, my friend, said Chandru, is your Garuda bird. And with this, you are going to fly into your princess's heart. Okay, time for another quick stretch as I tell you all about Garuda. 
Garuda is a giant golden eagle who is Lord Vishnu's constant companion. He is uh, Lord Vishnu's vehicle. And whenever the great god Vishnu goes anywhere, he always travels there on Garuda's back. And Chandru, that brilliant chariot maker, had made an exact replica of Garuda. Done with your stretch? Brilliant. We're going back to the story. Music is changing again. We're walking. So, Chandru says, I told you I would come back with the perfect plan and here I am. By the way, I've discovered everything about your princess. Her name is Rupvati and she is utterly wonderful in every way possible. But there is one little thing you should know about her before you go any further. Rupvati is always on a fight for women's rights. She is a real feminist. She's always trying to change the laws of the land. And even the king's ministers have a really hard time trying to keep her in check. So I doubt that you will be able to. So if you wanted an obedient little wife who would always do everything that you say and never argue back, then buddy, she's not the woman for you. I think you will be dancing to her tune instead. But as you can imagine, Monu didn't care what Rupati was likely to make him do, so long as he could just be with her. Ah, you little lovesick twit. I thought you might say that. Okay, never mind that. Here's the plan. We are going to dress you up to look like Lord Vishnu. And when Princess Rupvati sees you flying in on Garuda here, dressed as Vishnu with the wind in your hair and the moon glowing behind you like a giant halo, she will really believe that the Supreme Lord himself has come for her and she will never be able to resist you. But remember, no mistakes at all. You have to be really clever about this because she is very bright. And if you screw up, she'll know. Bonu was ecstatic. This was just the miracle that he had been waiting for. That evening, Chandru arrived at Monu's house again to help his friend get dressed. He had literally thought of everything. He'd brought the yellow silk robes that Lord Vishnu wears. He'd brought the crown. He'd brought the all the four things that Lord Vishnu holds in his four hands, which is the discus, the conch, the lotus and the mace. He had even brought along a couple of fake arms just to finish off the disguise. And as a real stroke of genius, in a beautiful little glass jar, Chandru had even brought along the perfume that Lord Vishnu is so famous for. Dried lotus petals mixed with sandalwood powder. Et voila! With that last touch, Monu was ready to hit the road. That night, as Rupwati lay on her bed, staring up at the star-studded sky, thinking of new ways to argue with her father's ministers, suddenly her dreams were interrupted by a most unexpected sight. The great eagle Garuda, framed by the full moon behind, was heading towards her. It flew directly onto the terrace of the palace, stopped right next to her bed, and from its back alighted the great god Vishnu himself. Rupvati rubbed her eyes. She looked up again. She knew she wasn't dreaming. She knew she wasn't drunk. She knew she hadn't smoked any of those special leaves that they had found in the forest the day before. That left only one explanation. 
It was truly Lord Vishnu himself who had come to visit her. The princess jumped out of her bed and sank to her knees in front of the Supreme Lord. Head bowed, body trembling in shock and excitement, she said, O oh Lord, you have graced me with your divine presence. Command me, how may I worship you? Lord Vishnu, however, tenderly grasped the girl by her shoulders and raising her up, he said, No, my dear, it is I who am here to worship you. Rupati gasped, Me? But, but, I'm a mere mortal. I'm just a woman. Vishnu shook his head again. Oh no, you are actually a goddess. In fact, you are my own divine consort. You see, a long time ago, an angry sage had banished you from heaven and he put a curse on you that you would have to live on earth as a human being. But the thing is, I can no longer bear to be parted from you anymore. And so, curse or no curse, I have come to make you mine again. The only problem is, you still are technically under the curse and I am breaking the rules to come and visit you. So, we can't let anyone know that I'm here. We have to keep this whole thing very quiet. But here's what I'm thinking. Let's get married secretly. Right here, right now, just you and I. We can have a Gandharv marriage. Are you ready for that, my love? Okay, you know the drill. You're going to stretch as I explain this wonderful thing called a Gandharv marriage. In ancient India, if a man and a woman were passionately attracted to one another, they could consummate the relationship simply by saying, I love you, I accept you. You didn't need anyone's consent or even a religious ceremony to make it legal. And this very convenient event was called a Gandharv marriage. Pretty cool, huh? Okay, ready to walk? Here comes the music. So, Monu tells the princess that he's Lord Vishnu, that she too is a goddess, and that he loves her and wants to marry her secretly in the Gandharv fashion. Now, the princess was not stupid. This sounded as unlikely to her as it does to you, but it was the flying Garuda bird that convinced her. A giant bird flying out of the night sky, carrying a man on its back. That was either the work of a really powerful magician, or it had to be God himself. And Rupati decided it was God. An enormous wave of happiness washed over her, and she fell into Lord Vishnu's arms, and the two of them spent the most blissful and passionate and perfect night together. Many such nights passed, blissful, passionate, perfect. Every night, Monu would fly onto the palace terrace on his Garuda bird, and every morning, just before daybreak, he would leave again for the heavens, you know, to do his godly work. It was all perfect. But very soon, Rupati's servants began to notice things sounds of lovemaking, a man's voice, laughter, and the princess herself looking very different, glowing but tired at the same time. They could tell that she was entertaining a man in her room at night. And before they got blamed for what was happening, they decided it was time to tell the king and queen. Now, 
The king, when he heard the news, fell about crying. Oh no, he said, what are we going to do? Oh God, what are we going to do? Oh, the dishonor, oh, the dishonor. The queen, however, had far more faith in her daughter. She was convinced that the child wouldn't do anything stupid. Girls are intelligent like that, you know. But when she went to see her daughter, she did get a bit of a shock too. Rupati's lips were swollen from kisses. You could see that she had love bites on her neck. It wasn't quite what the queen was expecting to see. But Rupati quickly explained the whole story to her mother, how she was really a goddess, how she was really Lord Vishnu's own beloved wife and how she had been cursed by an angry sage to live on earth as a mere mortal. But mother Lord Vishnu says that he can no longer bear to be parted from me. So we have had a Gandharva marriage and he comes to me every night on his Garuda bird. It is he who spends the night with me. Well, you have to admit it's not an easy story to believe, but as I said, the queen had faith in her daughter, and so even though the story was so bizarre, she found herself believing it and her heart filled with joy. Giving her daughter a quick hug, she rushed back to the king. Husband, husband, she said, you'll never believe this, but it is Lord Vishnu himself who visits our daughter every night. He has even married her in a Gandharva ceremony. Can you imagine our very own daughter and the supreme lord himself? Oh, I am so happy. You know, I'm thinking tonight let's also bless ourselves by looking upon him. We can hide behind the terrace wall and watch when he comes to visit our daughter. The king was thrilled. Thrilled that his daughter was married to Lord Vishnu, thrilled that he was going to see the supreme lord for himself with his own eyes. He was so excited he could barely wait for the day to be over. That night, he and the queen hid behind the windows and watched. In the deep of the night when the world was covered in darkness when the crescent moon had taken its position in the night sky there appeared on the horizon a giant golden garuda bird the king and the queen watched with bated breath as it flew through the darkness they watched as it landed on the palace terrace and then oh they watched the supreme lord vishnu himself dismount and gather up their very own daughter in his arms there was absolutely no doubt in their mind that it was lord vishnu he had everything that you would expect lord vishnu to be wearing the yellow silk robes the crown the four hands holding the disc the mace the lotus and the conch it was definitely lord vishnu the king felt as though amrit as though the nectar of bliss was flowing through his veins almost fainting with happiness he whispered to his wife he said didn't i tell you our daughter was special that she is a goddess and you you were so foolish as to think that she would bring dishonor to our name oh you are a silly woman aren't you <clears throat> The queen did not say anything because well what was the point but she did roll her eyes just a little but the king wasn't even looking he was far too busy with his own dreams which were getting bigger and bigger by the minute he rubbed his hands gleefully and he said and you know what dear wife now with lord vishnu as my son-in-law 
I shall become king of the whole world. Okay, time for another quick stretch as I explain this bit. You see, our king was just a small little king with a tiny little kingdom. His kingdom, the kingdom of Gauda, was made up of only 50 villages. It was tiny. But he had always wanted his cousin's kingdom, his cousin Vikramsen, because Vikramsen's kingdom was made up of 81 million villages. Now, that's a kingdom worth having. So our king had always wanted Vikramsen's kingdom. He could never really manage to get it. But now with Lord Vishnu as his son-in-law, that dream could finally become a reality. Okay, are we ready to walk again? Here comes the music. Watch out for the change in pace. So, the king is super excited because with Lord Vishnu as his son-in-law, he can now finally fulfill his ambition of taking over his cousin Vikram Sen's kingdom. All he has to do is get the man to the battlefield. So the next day, the king writes a suitably rude letter to Vikram Sen with a hundred carefully worded insults. And he sends it with a very specially trained choir of a hundred men to sing it out loud so that not just Vikram Sen, but his entire kingdom can hear it. As you would expect, Vikram Sen was absolutely furious and immediately he gathered up his army, complete with elephants and chariots and horses and infantry, and marched towards Gauda. The battle, he said, would commence at dawn. Now back in Gauda, there was absolute panic. People were tearing around trying to figure out what to do, where to hide, where would they be safe. When they had woken up this lovely bright morning, they had had no idea that their crazy king would go off and plunge them into war. And that too against Vikramsen, a man who could wipe them out in the blink of an eye. But the king himself didn't seem to be worried at all. He just sat there on his throne saying, don't worry, I have a plan. The people were not convinced. They could see Vikram Sen's army getting closer and closer. Dawn was only a few hours away and their king hadn't even given orders for his own army to come together. But what could anyone do? The king in the meantime had gone off to see his daughter. Darling child, he said, as you know, we are at war with Vikram Sen, who is on his way even now as we speak to crush us. So tonight, I want you to talk to your husband, the great god Vishnu, and request him to destroy our enemy. Rupvati was more than happy to help her father. And as soon as Monu arrived for his nightly visit, she told him the whole story. And then, putting her arms around his neck, she said, You really must help us, my lord. My father is depending on you. I am depending on you. Poor Monu. He had no idea what to do. To the princess, he merely smiled and said, No problem, my dear. This battle of mortals, it is a mere trifle. In the past, I have crushed whole armies of demons all by myself. And this Vikram Sen is nothing. I shall simply let fly my enchanted discus, my Sudarshan Chakra. 
and not just Vikram Sen, but his entire army will be wiped out in the blink of an eye. But on the inside, Monu was almost dying of fright. And that night, while the king was celebrating his impending victory and the humongous new kingdom that he was just about to win, poor Monu was trying to figure out the easiest way to kill himself. He could run away and then just die from the grief of being parted from his princess, or he could go to battle and die at the hands of Vikram Sen, or he could jump off the balcony right now and put an end to everything, or... and so on and so on. But even as the weaver sat there battling with his thoughts, someone up in heaven was watching his inner struggle. The real Garuda, the golden eagle who is the companion of the real god Vishnu. He was watching this drama unfold and he realized that now they were all in a serious jam and the time had come to tell Lord Vishnu. Garuda flew up to Lord Vishnu's home and he said, My Lord, forgive me, but we need your help. On earth, in the kingdom of Gauda, there lives a weaver who has managed to win the love of a princess by visiting her every night disguised as you. Now, I didn't come to you about this earlier because, well, it was all quite harmless. But now the idiot has gone off and offered to fight Vikram Sen and his entire army, single-handed, still disguised as you. And here's the problem. If we let him be stupid and go to battle, and if he dies, then people will think that you have been killed, and that too by a mortal. And if he is captured and taken prisoner, again, same problem. People will think it's you. Either way, people will lose faith in you, they will lose faith in religion, and all hell will break loose on earth. We have to do something. Lord Vishnu thought for a moment, and then he burst out laughing. You know, I think I like this Monu. There's obviously something very special about him. I mean, look how cleverly he's managed to get us involved without even asking for our help. I'll tell you what, Garuda, let's help him. Come on, let's have some fun. Let's help him defeat Vikram Sen and win this battle for his princess. Okay, here's the plan. I will enter his body and you must enter the wooden Garuda bird that he has been using. And together... We will fight for him without him even knowing it. The next morning at dawn, the sounds of battle awoke all the citizens of Gauda. At the gates of the city stood Vikram Sen with his enormous army. Horses neighed, elephants trumpeted, horns blew. It was a frightening sight. At the same time, a miserable Monu climbed onto his wooden Garuda bird and headed for the center of battle. He was trying not to tremble. He was trying not to cry. He knew he was about to be killed. But just before he could land, the real Lord Vishnu had entered his body and the real Garuda had entered the wooden Garuda bird that he had been using and miracles had started to happen. And so when the frightened trembling weaver put the battle conch to his lips to announce the start of battle, the sound that came out of it was not the pathetic little whimper of his plastic shell, but the sound of the Supreme Lord's battle conch. It is a terrifying sound. It's a sound that can destroy universes, that can shatter galaxies. 
and it so terrified the elephants Vikram Sen's army that they reared up on their hind legs and ran for their lives. But the elephants were not the only ones thrown into chaos with the sound of Lord Vishnu's conch. As the echo of that sound reverberated through the universe and bounced off the heavens, all the other gods came rushing out of their palaces in surprise. It was still very early in the morning. The gods were only just waking up. And the last thing they were expecting to hear was Lord Vishnu's battle cry. There was total chaos in heaven. Oh no, what's going on? Are we at war again? Darn it, no one told me. I'm not prepared. Who are we fighting? Why are we fighting? When did it begin? Have you checked with Brahma? Brahma as in Lord Brahma, the creator. Lord Brahma, however, was just as confused as the others. But while the gods were still trying to work out what had happened, the real Lord Vishnu and Monu's body had let fly the discus, that lethal Sudarshan Chakra. The discus flew across the battlefield, fast and furious and strong, and in the blink of an eye, the enemy army had been wiped out. Elephants, horses, chariots, everything. And the battle was over even before it had begun. Now, my story has a very happy ending because, well, everything worked out exactly how everyone wanted it. Lord Vishnu and Garuda went back to the heavens with everyone's reputations intact. The gods breathed a sigh of relief. The world was safe. There was no battle and they could go back to their breakfast. The small king of tiny little Gauda became the king of the world. Well, king of 81 million villages at any rate. The weaver lived happily ever after with his princess. But for me, the only ending that really matters is the story of Princess Rupvati. Now that it had been confirmed that she really was a goddess, that she really was married to Lord Vishnu, she became the most powerful person in the kingdom. And all her father's ministers who had never approved of her independence, they were now all too frightened to say anything to her at all. And so Rupvati took over the kingdom. She changed all the laws of the land and Gauda became the very first kingdom with equal rights for women. And Lord Vishnu and Garuda never shared this secret with anyone. Even now, when they remember the story, they simply exchange glances and they burst out laughing. But till date, no one else knows why. And that, my dear boys, said the teacher to his students, to the young princes of the land, that is a lesson to be learned. A deception needs to be so well-crafted that not even the creator himself should be able to detect it.